0: In late October, 24 Oregon policymakers, advocates, police, and prosecutors landed in Lisbon, Portugal, to learn about that nation's two-decade-old drug decriminalization law. They arrived a few days after reporter Noel Crombie, who traveled to the country independently to do much the same. This is Beat Check with the Oregonian. I'm Elliot News. The fact-finding missions come two years after Oregon voters approved Measure 110, the state's own drug decriminalization law. But the voting public has soured on the law in the years since as the potent and addictive drug fentanyl has proliferated and overdoses have skyrocketed. Polls suggest a majority now favor a full or partial repeal. So does Portugal have the answers? Let's hear what Noel and the Oregon delegation learned in Lisbon. Noel, welcome back to Beat Check.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk first uh, a little bit about Measure 110. How exactly is this law supposed to work?
1: this is a a voter approved law. It's the result of a ballot measure. Um, and it, it does two things first. And the most high profile thing that it does is to decriminalize minor possession of, uh, street drugs. Um, so possessing drugs used to be a, uh, misdemeanor now it's a violation on par with a traffic violation um people who are who encounter police and they have a small amount of drugs on them are not going to be um arrested um or taken to jail they receive um a citation and on this citation they um there's a phone number to call for them to get uh sort of screened for um, services, um, including treatment. Um, The second part of of the law is is a more systemic uh, uh, change, and that is to redirect um, hundreds of millions of dollars in cannabis tax revenue towards um, treatment and treatment treatment services and and a a whole range of of programs and services intended to address um, substance abuse addiction um, or or substance abuse and addiction Uh, and so those are the two main things that measure 110 uh, set out to do
0: and and how has that played out since the law took effect in february 2021
1: well, it had a rocky um, rollout in the first year, with money slow to get out the door, um, and and that led to um, this um, you know, sort of a, a delay in getting the services up that had been promised under the law. And, and I think that led to some frustration, not not just on the part of lawmakers, uh, on the public, but also uh, you know lawmakers as well, um, and. The other sort of significant development we've seen um, in the time since the law passed or the law was implemented is really a failure on the part of people who receive these citations to do any kind of meaningful follow up. So the the way this was pitched to voters is police would have these encounters with people who had drug who were in minor possession and then they'd get this phone number and then they'd be routed into to to, um, to get help. And and that really never played, that has not panned out. That, is not, that, that scenario has not really played out. And and it hasn't played out for a variety of factors. You know, police didn't really embrace this ticketing system. Um, generally speaking, you know, some police agencies were more kind of robust about it than others. Um, Portland Police um, earlier this year did um, take a, a more enthusiastic you know, approach toward issuing the citations. But again, the citations don't seem to lead any, anywhere in the system that, um, that's been set up. Pe- people are not really um, following through on, on the, the phone call um, and the, the services that people hoped they would get. So
0: the, the de- decriminalization piece was sort of a light switch that just flipped on. The rest of it uh, has been um, you know, uh, much slower to, to take effect or to have any effect at all.
1: That's correct. I, you know, I will say though, that money, you know, a lot of money has gone out in grants, um, and programs are getting funded. And, uh, you know, we are hearing about, um, services that are being offered, uh, to, um, you know that that people that haven't been offered in the past or expanded capacity. Um, so money is out the door um, at this point, and um, some of those services are getting funded.
0: So that's the backdrop of this trip to Portugal. Um, who arranged for all of these policymakers and other interested parties to make the trip?
1: Yeah, the trip was the came from um, the Oregon Health. Justice Recovery Alliance, which is uh, an organization of um, proponents of Measure 110 and advocates and um, treatment providers and, and other supporters, um, which also receives funding from the Drug Policy Alliance, um, which is the major financial backer of Measure Measure 110. Um, this uh, trip was pitched as a, as a fact finding trip um, and uh, they invited m- a lot of people and offered to foot the bill, the, tra- the travel bill for, um, for a lot of people to go. Um, people who are really, you know, there's sort of so-called stakeholders or policy people, people who are going to be influential in shaping um, the future of this um, policy. And uh, this would be to basically look at various aspects of Portugal's program. Oregon's uh, decriminalization policy was uh, modeled in part on Portugal's approach uh, or, you know, inspired by that idea. And so now, three years later, uh, you know, this idea came about to actually go see uh, what that program looks like, you know, People, critics, question. You know, why is this trip coming? Ne- why now? This this kind of exploratory um, trip uh, should have been done when the state was, you know, sort of designing this program and this this approach. But the trip came just a couple of. Um, you know, a little more than a month ago, and it was really a chance for for people to see what Portugal's strategy looks like up close. Uh, I will I will say that that not everyone's trip was covered by um, the uh, Health Justice Re- Recovery Alliance. Most of most of the people who went, uh, their expenses were covered, but there were um, a small number who either uh, covered their own bills or their, um, their employers paid, for, they paid their way.
0: And you were there of course, uh, to observe and the Oregonian, by the way, uh, paid for your travel and your accommodations. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, about how you and your editors, uh, approached this trip to ensure that you were able to, uh, report, uh, independently, um, while also sort of, um, seeing what uh, these uh lawmakers and others were were seeing and, and learning and hearing
1: yeah first just you know a shout out to the oregonian editors who saw the value of this trip and um you know made the extraordinary decision to send a reporter uh, overseas you know to look at the policy up close i think that shows that we are really invested in covering this um, topic and doing um, the best we can to show uh, all of its complexity. And so, yeah, the paper sent me on this trip and um, it took a a lot of planning. There was a lot of planning um, to figure out, you know, what is it that we wanted to see and how could we... um, You know, do our you know do our basically our own reporting and then overlap and see what the the lawmakers and the others were going to see as well. So I overlap with them for about a day, um, a a solid day, and then part of a uh, of another day. Um, But I I, what I wanted to see were components of Portugal's program, um, particularly around this idea called harm reduction. Portugal has a strategy that um, it's got several elements to it, prevention, harm reduction, treatment, and then re-entry. So helping people um, who are in recovery re-enter society. And um, I wanted to look at, um, you know, their harm reduction program and, you know, what did that actually look like on the ground? And harm, harm reduction is, is, a, is a phrase that gets, you know, Used a lot in in this um, in reporting on this topic and and in this kind of field and it it's in essence it is um, uh, the idea of of provide of of keeping people who are using drugs who may be addicted to drugs you know, alive and you know safer healthier um, and it it doesn't prioritize um, s- sort of sobriety um, that's not. The, the the ultimate goal of harm reduction programs. Um, and so I, I wanted to look at that um, up, up close. So I ended up reaching out to the leaders of Portugal's uh, public health system and, um, you know, the architect of its uh, decriminalization policy, who remains in a really key position today. He helped design it a couple decades ago, was instrumental in, in getting it started and, You know, and I had conversations with him before the trip, and um, and he helped me get connected with some of the, um, as they call them, NGOs, you know, non-governmental organizations. But as here, we'd call them nonprofits. Some of the nonprofits that are um, delivering this, um, uh, doing this work on the ground, Um, and so I ended up um, going with a, a team. Of street workers, outreach workers, a social worker, and a nurse, and I spent basically their shift with them out on the streets of Lisbon. It was you know, totally, absolutely um, a privilege to be in a, you know, in, in another country with professionals and seeing, you know, a, a whole country up close like that. It's um, it was really fascinating and got to see their interactions with people on the streets of Lisbon and how they do, uh, this kind of really careful one-on-one work with people who are really at the fringes of, of Portuguese society. So I spent time with, with them. I, I did have a, um, a, I worked with a photographer who was based in Lisbon and he is fluent in English. And so he helped with, um, translation, um, as well as doing his own uh, kind of journalism, um, you know, visual journalism for the assignment. And then um, I wanted to see a safe use site, uh, which is um, a place where people can go who are using drugs and they can go into these settings and, you know, use Meth, or not actually, meth is not is not prevalent in, in Portugal. They were using crack cocaine and heroin, and they there are professionals on site who are there really as a overdose prevention workers and also a potential entry point to services and other care um, uh, because again we're talking about. A, group of people who are not likely to be seeking out care, uh, medical care or social work uh, assistance or any programs. Um, many of them are homeless. And so this these sites serve as a kind of a entry point into potential help. Um, and then um, I um, – yeah, those – you know, th- those were the two two big uh, things that I've spent the bulk of my time doing when I was uh, on on my own. And then when I met up with the Oregon delegation, we sat down with I-, I was there while they met with the architect of the program. And then they also went to a safe use site, and they and they also went to um, a mobile meth- methadone um, lab, uh, not lab, a van that delivers methadone to. Um, neighborhoods and pockets of the city where people are, you know, there's very high rates of heroin use and um, methadone is a daily medication. It's a very effective in treating opioid use disorder. And so people, they, they brought the medicine to these communities. I won't call them communities really to these neighborhoods um, where there were high needs and people would come to the van and get, get these medications. Um, I will point out that, and this is a really critical distinction that I made in the first story um, that I did, and we've got another story coming out, um, shortly, but the first story made clear that, um, Portugal does not have the same illicit drug landscape as the United States or Oregon in particular. It does not have fentanyl, um, and it does not really have meth. Um, uh, the, the prevalent drugs there are, um, heroin and crack cocaine. And, um, you know, and, and people will argue, well, then is this even a, a, a comparison? C- can there really be a comparison to be made? And, you know, and, and some people have raised questions about that, including you know, those on the trip that, you know, it was a it's a kind of apples and oranges comparison. How can we really take something from a, a society that's not grappling with the um, crisis that's confronting Oregon.
0: Uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want to ask the, um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, uh, the independent reporting that you did and then, uh, some of the experiences that the people who were there as part of the, uh, the, the broader delegation had, um, how do you feel about the, um, the, the, you know, the experience that you had, uh, do you feel like you, do you feel like you um, got sort of an unvarnished look at the Portugal system? And and do you feel that the uh, lawmakers and, and policymakers did as well?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I didn't uh, I wasn't living there. I mean, I was just visiting and my time was brief and I. I felt that, and I made the most of, of, you know, every hour I was there, I do feel that um, Portugal has a strategy, a longstanding strategy, and they've got kind of a philosophy that shapes that strategy, and that really is – as far as I could see, really rooted in this idea of harm reduction, where treatment is um, is a is a priority, but it's but they also have a kind of a pragmatic approach um, to uh, addiction that it's something as one psychologist told me it was kind of like it's always going to be here, you know, accept it and work with that reality. Where I think, whereas I think in the United States, the or at least you know here in the discussions we're having here, there's a, a more of an emphasis on treatment. And i um, solving this problem. And um, so I think that philosophical difference really comes out between these two countries. But, you know, and so what I saw was not a, a country where, gosh, you know, everyone is in treatment, everything looks, um, uh, you know, they've got this all in hand. No, it, it seemed like uh, uh, you know, from my conversations with a lot of the people who are doing the work on the ground, the, the country has really struggled to keep up with um, the evolving drug landscape, the emergence of crack cocaine, um, a, um, a, you know, kind of a, um, an increase in the migrant population, which has really struggled significantly with addiction, um, struggled to meet those needs. They've got stratospheric homelessness rate um, that's just gone through the roof in the past few years. Um Compounded by all kinds of economic factors in Portugal. And so, um, you know, I did see people living on the streets. I I spoke with people who are using uh, drugs, who have been using them for a long time, who said that, you know, drug use remains, um, you know, rampant, including public drug use. So I don't think that this was a a policy that um, really, you know, kind of solved a problem, but it's one country's way of addressing this problem.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk a little more about Portugal. You had some really interesting context in your story about how that country's decriminalization laws came about. Can you tell us a little about that?
1: Yeah, you know, and I've spoke I've spoken with um, Dr. João Gulao, who's, as I said, kind of the um, one of the key figures who helped usher in this approach. Um, uh, about 20 years ago, and uh, you know, he's a family physician, um, so he comes at this from a really uh, kind of a public health um, perspective. And you know, in my conversations with him, he, um, you know, he's pointed to the that the 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 uh, evolution of this drug pr- approach in Portugal is really rooted in um in it in its um in its history that. Um, that the country struggled with um, illicit drugs beginning in the mid seventies as the country sort of emerged from a a dictatorship into a democratic Republic Um, that at that time cannabis flooded the country. Um, It was imported by people who came there from, uh, from former Portuguese colonies as well as soldiers uh, who had fought in those places. And um, he described this as a kind of, um, you know, almost, you know, this, uh, um, this freedom that swept over the country. And, um, along with that came this explosion and experimentation and that, um, that this, but the, but that cannabis escalated into heroin and, um, and that that epidemic of heroin use touched all elements of society, all classes. Um, he, he noted, um, that, they were very high-level government officials whose own family members were um, you know, lost to addiction. Um, that there was a point in Portuguese society where it was hard to find anyone who had not been touched by addiction, and so it was a crisis. It was a, it was seen as a as a countrywide crisis, um, and uh, along with it, there were rising um, rates of HIV infection, and so uh, he and others were tasked with coming up with a strategy to address this. And um, it was part of that strategy. And as he says, as Dr. Galau has has described this, this was actually not, you know, not really a centerpiece of the strategy, but part of the strategy was decriminalization. And that that gets a lot of attention. But that there were a lot of other things that Portugal did around that time. Um, And that included, you know, Dedicating money toward prevention, um, or in early grades, uh, as early as kindergarten, and not necessarily dr- you know—talking about drugs in those ages, but talking about um, risks and making decisions and age-appropriate discussions around, um, you know, making safe choices. And that began really early. That's something that. Um, it sounded, you know, in my conversations with him, like that—that's something that also involves a uh, police going into schools and talking about um, about those kinds of about prevention and drugs. And I—I I, I will say that pol- that in my conversations in Portugal, police have really, and the role of police is really um, the volume is really turned down on that. You don't hear about that as much as you do here, where police are really um, a big uh, player in how we address. Uh, addiction um there it's it's really not not so much um but um and then again spending money on harm reduction so that means cl- uh, needles uh, syringe exchanges um currently it means handing out naloxone um and it means these safe use sites which are much more common in europe um and um and then uh, treatment, uh, so p- the country set aside money for uh, treatment and easy access to treatment. So if someone said they wanted treatment, they got it on the spot. Um, that is not the case in Portugal today, where waiting lists have become more common. Um, and then and then these re-entry uh, programs that help people with housing and, and employment.
0: You mentioned a couple of times too that the, um, the landscape in Portugal differs because uh, in part because of the, the the drugs that are widely available there, um, and and how that compares to Portland.
1: Yeah, I mean they they just don't have. Uh, as drug researchers in Europe have pointed out to me, you know, Europe generally didn't just just didn't grapple with the opioid epidemic the way the United States did. Um, did not have the you know prescription opioid crisis that uh, ballooned into where we are now um and and so without that um you know they're they're dealing with drugs we we've we've long been dealing with um heroin in particular
0: so you have this group of people from oregon crossing an ocean to learn about portugal's experience um some of them are uh Uh, like the uh, Democratic lawmakers who who attended are probably sympathetic, at least to the idea of uh, drug decriminalization and and a a treatment-centered focus. Um, Others uh, are probably inclined towards some skepticism of that idea. What did all of these participants tell you afterward?
1: Yeah, I I would say most were inclined to... um, be more, if not outright supportive of decriminalization, at, at least were reluctant to, um, re, you know, recriminalize. Um, and then there were, you know, I think some, um, some skeptics, uh, you know, I, d- I do think that, um, you know, there, the, 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 Everyone who went on the trip understood that it was coming at a really important moment in Oregon. That um, there is a lot of urgency around Measure One Ten uh, because of uh, the, the really dwindling public support, but but also this uh, political push to uh, recriminalize to roll back um, decriminalization, and that is creating a lot of pressure on the Oregon Legislature to do something uh, to address what are seen as as gaps. Uh, in um measure 110 and you know I, i got a lot of a range of responses from people uh to the to what they saw on the trip i think people i think that it was useful for people to see this program up close and to see how another country is is dealing with addiction i think for some people it um it was uh it, it will be it, they, they did not see how some of what Portugal does is going to be applicable here or, or usable here for a variety of reasons, whether they're um, political or um, practical or even legal Um you know, for instance, uh, in Portugal, um, police officers routinely confiscate street drugs from people. And that's just something here that is uh, really complicated by constitutional protections. And so is that, uh, well, in Portugal, that seemed like a real no brainer to people. And when I mentioned to law enforcement there that that's not the case here, they were, you know, kind of scratching their heads about that, uh, because it seemed like such a a, a low-hanging fruit thing to do but uh, but that's not something if, if it, it, that's something that is going to require um, you know some more thought as to how how you would overcome the constitutional issues with it um, the safe use sites the same kind of political um, uh, obstacles to overcome in setting up locations where people would be allowed to use Fentanyl um, seemed like um, almost insurmountable political, politically. Some of the people who were on the trip, uh, there, but but again, there were other people on the trip, like people who are in the treatment world and people who had themselves overcome opioid addiction, who thought that that was a no-brainer uh, because um, those sites have um, a role in reducing opioid related deaths and um, you know in, in overdoses, and so. Um, you know, I think there's a, a, people came away from that trip, maybe some of the people, and I've spoken with them, um, that you know, may, maybe there's a role for private funding of such a site in Oregon. Um, so, I mean, I think the the uh, responses were kind of all all over the map, and, and people took away, you know, different kind of lessons from it. But I, you know, I think for many people, the idea that there was not, fentanyl there was really significant um, and o- almost hard to draw real comparisons for some folks.
0: So coming back to Oregon and Measure 110, um, what are uh, some of the reforms that are being proposed and considered right now? And when are lawmakers or or voters going to be um, making some decisions on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this—the next twelve months are going to be really um, significant for the future of this policy. Um, a committee uh, has been meeting; a legislative committee has been meeting um, the past couple of months to consider um, potential policy proposals for the legislature to consider next year uh, when it meets. Um, there, I think there there is a there is pressure. On the legislature, because there is this effort to um, potentially go back to the ballot, uh, you know, back to the voters to ask about uh, rolling back. Um, Decrim, decriminalization. And so that's really len, it's really infusing this with urgency. Um, so I think we'll see something out of the, out of the legislature next year. You know, what is that and how far will they go? Um, that's really unclear. The lawmakers I've spoken with, uh, Democratic lawmakers, seem extremely reluctant to undo decriminalization, which uh, was approved by voters um, just a few years ago. And um, you know, they, there's unease among uh, key lawmakers in uh, undoing that. Um, however, you know, they are considering um, criminalizing public use, uh, which is obviously a very big issue in Portland. Will that be enough to stave off a ballot measure uh, effort? I, I don't know. I don't know if that will be, if that measure, if that step will go far enough for people who really want to see. Um, possession recriminalized.
0: Is there anything you can say at this point about where your, your reporting on this issue is headed, either, you know, coming off of your um, Portugal trip or uh, more broadly on, on Measure 110?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got another piece uh, coming out here, uh, looking more really more closely um, at harm reduction and uh, the ways it works in Portugal and why it why some of these things either are impractical or, um, or the obstacles that they face, for instance, around methadone uh, delivery uh, or access in uh, the United States generally, in Oregon specifically, um, methadone access is generally poor. And that's a big uh, um, component for Portugal's approach. So the story that I'm doing um, is going to look more closely at harm reduction and the role that it has in both Portugal and potentially here. Um, and then, you know, we're, I'm going to be following closely the, um, the, the politics, um, of this, uh, for the next few months, there will be a lot of money that will go into these, um, efforts to both preserve or to reverse measure 110. And there's a lot of, um, um, just political energy around it at the moment. So, um, I'm hoping to follow that, but, but, but also look more closely at some of the ways, um, that, um, uh, some of the, the ways the programs are, that are being funded by Measure 110, how they are working. And, um, and so that those are sort of my goals for the coming months.
0: Great. Well, and, and, uh. By the time folks are listening to this episode, uh, that first story you mentioned on harm reduction, that may already be out, in which case uh, we'll put a link uh, to that and all the coverage that you produced so far uh, in the show description. Um, if it's not out, then uh, folks will find it soon on Oregon Live. Uh, thank you, Noel, for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And uh, thank you for listening to "Be check with The Oregonian. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. You can also spread the word by telling a friend to give us a listen. But the best way to support our journalism and stories like Noel's is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.